Hey everybody, this is Mark. Welcome back to another episode of this Poor Pastors Podcast. What you doing here? Don't you have practice? Not anymore, I quit. Oh. Well, since when are you the quitting kind? I want to do something big and something important. I'm not like you. I'm nothing. Just let me be nothing. So where does the power come from to see the race to its end? I believe God made me for a purpose. If you commit yourself to the love of Christ, then that is how you run a straight race. Run in God's name and let the world stand back in wonder. Welcome. Was it as easy as it looked? No, sir. No, no sir, it wasn't. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode. A little bit different episode this week than what I normally have been putting out. I'm actually going to play for you the sermon I preached at our church Sunday morning. Now, if that's not of interest to you, just wait until next week and we'll have another episode out. But I hope that you will listen. This is maybe one of the most important sermons I have preached at my church, either of the churches that I've pastored in 16 years of ministry. And I hope that you'll give this a listen. I'd love some feedback from you. I'd love to hear what you think. I'd love to hear your thoughts. It's a sermon at the conclusion of our series through the book of Hosea. And it's based around Hosea 6, 6, I desired mercy and not sacrifice. Take a listen. I hope it'll be an encouragement to you. And I look forward to hearing from you. I'll come back at the end with some final thoughts. All right, you can be seated and take your Bibles and turn to the book of Hosea. We're going to start there. Hosea chapter number six. I don't have any notes this morning other than a list of Bible passages that I want us to look at. That's unusual for me. I normally have my notes all typed out. Um, but every time I tried, I just couldn't I just couldn't put into my notes what I what was on my heart. So this will either be a disaster, which had plenty of those, um, or it will go well. This, this topic is just, it's so important and it's so big that it was really hard to, to encapsulate it. And I'm not even sure I'll be able to do it this morning, but I'm hoping to plant a thought into your, into your mind that won't let you go. Um, that's my that's my hope, uh, and that you would just meditate on it and, and think on it. Hosea chapter six, um, and uh, verse number uh, four. I'm going to read verses four uh, through um, seven. O Ephraim, what shall I do unto thee? O Judah, what shall I do unto thee? For your goodness is as a morning cloud. And as the early dew, it goeth away. Therefore have I hewed them by the prophets. I have slain them by the words of my mouth. And thy judgments are as the light that goeth forth. For I desired mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. But they, like men, have transgressed the covenant. There have they dealt treacherously against me. 
Let's have a word of prayer. Lord, help me this morning to encourage your people and to challenge us. I really think, Father, there is something here that we desperately need to acknowledge and to see and to face. But it should be of encouragement to us as well as motivation. And I want to encourage your people and to edify them. As you've been working on my heart about this, uh, I pray that you would also work on the heart of our entire congregation. And I know so many people in our congregation so well, I know that their hearts already lean in this direction. So maybe this would just be a gentle reminder. And uh, I pray for those watching who also would take this message to heart. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Sunday night, we looked in a little bit more detail at the story of the prodigal son from Luke chapter 15. And I pointed out to you the really uh, visible parallels between uh, Hosea, the book of Hosea, and the story Jesus told in Luke 15. Uh, you could go back and watch that on YouTube or Facebook if you want to. It's still up there and, and go back and look at all the passages. But when, when um, Jesus uh, told them that story, a certain man had two sons, uh, there, there are some tremendous parallels, and I think this is what Jesus was referring to was the message that's found in the book of Hosea in the use of the parable of the prodigal son. I say that for a couple of reasons. One, because in the book of Hosea, we see the heart of the father for the wayward sons, Ephraim and Judah. He had to punish them, and much of his punishment had to do with allowing them to go their own way and face the consequences of their own decisions. But he always promised a better day, and he promised hope and love and forgiveness upon their return. Never forget that the heart of God is not to condemn, but it is to heal and to forgive. And God desires that more than anything else, as such the scriptures say. I'm always bothered by people who magnify the wrath of God as if that's the attribute by which God desires to be known, even though the Old Testament and New goes to great lengths to say that while God has wrath and does demonstrate his wrath, on those who are rebellious and disobedient, that the heart of God is one of mercy and forgiveness and long-suffering. And uh, he, does, he takes no pleasure at all in the death of the wicked and the rebellious. In, John, in Luke 15, right before Luke 15 starts, the story starts, God is, Jesus is confronted by the Pharisees because he had been receiving or eating with publicans, the tax collectors, and other sinners, those that had been in rebellion against God and were the enemies of the faithful uh, Judeans, the faithful Jews. And they were very upset with Jesus about that. And Jesus, in Luke 15, tells them a story about the prodigal son and about the, father, the heart of the father to receive the one who had been in rebellion against the father. And then the end of the, the, the parable in Luke 15 is the father dealing with the son who is, who is at home and, and almost saying like, this is, this is the heart of the father. I, 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 why shouldn't I rejoice that my son who was lost is found and my son who is dead is now alive again? The story of the, the prodigal son kind of ends with that kind of uh, cliffhanger, like what does the older son do? 
Does he ever go into the house? Does he ever accept the younger brother? We're not told. And I think we're not told primarily because uh, we're, we, we should meditate on that and think about that. Like, what do you suppose happened? How should we respond to those who have been in rebellion, to those who are in sin, to those who we want to see return? But in, in two other passages in uh, the, uh, the Gospel of Matthew, in Matthew 9 as well as in Matthew uh, chapter 12, this similar attitude is brought to Jesus' attention of receiving publicans and sinners or um, seeming to minimize the importance of religious observance. In Matthew chapter 9 and verse uh, number, maybe it's verse number um, 11, uh, well, verse number 10, it came to pass as Jesus sat at meat in the house, behold, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto his disciples, why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? But when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, they that be whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. That would be in line with the story of the prodigal son. Son, you've always been with me, but he has been away from me. And I'm, I'm rejoicing at this. But look what he said in verse 13. But go ye and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. For I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. That phrase, I will, not, I will have mercy and not sacrifice. Again, Jesus is quoting from Hosea 6.6. 6. He said, this is what I wanted. And he told, they were upset because Jesus was eating with publicans and sinners. And he said, why don't you go and learn what this means? Now, who's he talking to? He's talking to Pharisees. Who are the Pharisees? Well, if you're in the West in the 21st century, you say, well, Pharisee is someone that looks down their nose at other people. Yes, that's how it's come to be. But the Pharisees were actually people that as a result of the, uh, I think it's the Hasmonean uh, uh, dynasty, uh, the, the dynasty, the, the uh, royal dynasty that arose uh, after the Maccabean revolt under Judah the Hammer. Um, and, and after that Maccabean revolt, they set up a dynasty and a kind of a ruler, a kingdom that was kind of kingdom and, uh, and religious mixed. The Pharisees kind of came out as that because they, they were so bothered that the um, nation of Israel was becoming secularized. And so the Pharisees arose from among the laity, from among the people, as those whose heart and desire was that they would show to God their immense dedication to him by their strict observance of the law. And they went so far that they started doing something that the Jews uh, called putting a fence around the law. So in other words, if the law said you shouldn't walk five feet from this line, the Pharisees put a fence around that 10 feet out from that line so that you wouldn't get even close to getting too close. And by doing that, they were saying, we want to be, we want to be sure that God knows that we are, uh, that we are dedicated to following all the rules and laws and guidelines. And they, and they began to teach people. They were very respected because they were, they, they were the ones teaching people how to keep the law of God. There was a major problem though. Somewhere along the way, in the, in the couple of hundred years that the Pharisees had been a, a group, something had happened. They had replaced some of the more important and the most important message that God had given all throughout the Old Testament. 
And, and their religious love for God, their religious credentials were in their keeping of the law and their holding at arm's length anyone who did not do those things. So to them, pure religion was rigid observance of religious exercise. Both the ones that Moses had clearly said, as well as their additional things they'd added to it. I mean, if it's good to be five feet away from a cliff, it's even better to be 10 feet away from a cliff. And then eventually you start telling people that God wants you to be 10 feet away from the cliff. And whoever can be the strictest in their life is therefore the one that God loves the most and who shows their love for God the most. That's, the who, that's who Jesus was talking to, and that's who said to Jesus, why do you receive and eat with publicans and sinners? This goes directly against everything that those who claim to love God should be doing. And Jesus said, why don't you go and learn what it means? And he didn't say in Hosea because they already knew Hosea. He said, why don't you go and learn what it means? I will have mercy and not sacrifice. That was a slap in the face to people who dedicated their entire lives to knowing the Bible. There is a big difference between knowing the Bible and knowing what the Bible means. And Jesus said, you missed the point completely. Go and learn what it means. Well, a little bit later on in Matthew's gospel, in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus and the apostles were walking through a field on the Sabbath day. And they came to a field of corn kind of like more, like more like wheat corns. And they would pick them and rub them in their hands to loosen up the kernels and then eat the kernels. They were hungry and it was the Sabbath day. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto him, behold, look at this. Your disciples do not do that which is not lawful to do upon the Sabbath day. But he said unto them, have ye not read what David did? When he was in hungered and, and they that were with him, how he entered into the house of God and did eat the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, neither for them which were with him, but only for the priests. Or have ye not read in the law how that on the Sabbath days, the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless. But I say unto you that in this place is one greater than the temple. But if ye had known what this meaneth, I told you back in chapter seven, if you had known what it meant, I will have mercy and not sacrifice, ye would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath day. Now the story of David, David's running from his life from King Saul. He goes into this temple and asks for something to eat because he and his men are starving. And the priests had just replaced yesterday's showbread with today's showbread. And so yesterday's showbread was supposed to be eaten by the priests. And David said, let me have that. And the priest said, well, you know, you're not really supposed to have that. But David said, we're starving to death. And he's like, okay, well, at least if you've kept yourself from women for the last several days. And David said, yeah, we've been on the run. I mean, our men haven't been around their wives or anything. And he's like, okay, you can eat it. And Jesus points to that and said, haven't you ever read that? This isn't the first time that hungry people have broken the Sabbath law. And he said, if you had known what this meant, I will have mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. Jesus didn't even say, he said, they're not even guilty. You're saying they're guilty, but they're not. Why? Because the Sabbath day was not intended to be served by men. It was intended to serve men. That the He said, you Pharisees have developed a system of religion 
that allows people, that you would rather see people suffer hunger so long as they do what's right. And he said, you don't even know what this means. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. That God never intended the Sabbath day so that people could starve to death. And that if you make people starve on the Sabbath day, thinking that's pleasing God, you've missed the heart of God completely. So Jesus tells them over and over again, you have missed the point. Now Jesus quotes Hosea chapter 6. But this idea of God desiring mercy. Now, I need to define mercy for you. The word mercy is the Old Testament word, is the uh, Hebrew word hesed. It doesn't, it doesn't mean just like being nice to people. Hesed is a, is, a, is, a, is a Hebrew term that means mercy, kindness, faithfulness, long-suffering, loving kindness. There's no one English word to translate hesed. Sometimes it's mercy, sometimes it's, it's a, a lot of these words. The most often word, uh, the most oft translated English word is loving kindness. But it has to do with, with loving faithfulness to God and compassion and grace on those around you. And God said, that's what I wanted. I just, I wanted people who loved me and served me and were compassionate on one another more than I was ever looking for some rigid adherence to religious structure. That's what I wanted. I wanted you to be faithful. Now, don't take my word for it. God says the same thing so many times in the Bible. Um, in 1 Samuel chapter number 15, I'm going to go through these uh, fairly quickly, but we're going to look for, for a recurring theme here. Saul had been disobedient to the Lord, and he had kept um, things alive for sacrifice that he was supposed to have, have killed, thinking that that sacrificing these things to God would please him, that his disobedience to God wouldn't matter because he was going to do these religious observances. And Samuel said to Saul in 1 Samuel 15, 22, he asks a question, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. Now you have to ask yourself the question, I thought they were told to do sacrifices, so wouldn't sacrificing technically be obeying God? It would, but it seems like there are some times when the religious exercises need to take a sidecar, a sidestep, when it comes to obeying God. And you think, well, that sounds complicated. I'll grant you, it's probably why the Israelites struggled with it so much and why we still are today. But he, Samuel asked the question, God's, isn't God more interested in obedience than religious observance? He just leaves it hanging because that's in, it's in fact what God does desire. Now look at Psalm chapter number 50 and uh, starting in verse number 7. Psalm chapter number 50 and verse number 7. I'm going to start reading. I've got a lot of passages to get through, so if you can't turn there, just jot them down. Hear, O my people, and I will speak. O Israel, and I will testify against thee. I am God, even thy God. I will not reprove thee for thy sacrifices or thy burnt offerings, to have been continually before me. I will take no bullock out of thy house, nor he go out of thy folds. For every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle upon a thousand hills. I know all the fowls of the mountain, and the wild beasts of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you. I would not tell thee, for the world is mine, and the fullness thereof. Will I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? What's God going on about here? 
What he's going on about is the people of Israel that he's talking to in Psalm 50 had been faithful in their sacrifices, thinking that's what God wanted, but had been away from God in their actions. And God said, are you doing this because you think I need the animals? Do you think I need to eat? If I was hungry, do you think I would? If you don't sacrifice burnt offerings, do you think I'm going to starve to death? You're doing this as if somehow I need this from you while not doing the things that I've told you to do. But he said in verse 14, offer unto God thanksgiving and pay thy vows unto the most high and call upon me in the day of trouble and I will deliver thee and shall glorify thee. Now pay attention to these, vo- these verses. But unto the wicked, God saith, what hast thou to do to declare my statutes or that thou shouldest take my covenant in thy mouth? It's important to know here, God is classifying the wicked not as those who are not preaching not as those who are not following the law in this area of sacrifices, but he still calls them wicked. Seeing thou hatest instruction and castest my words behind thee. Why? When thou sawest a thief, then thou consentest with him and hast been partaker with adulterers. Thy giveth thy mouth to evil, thy tongue frameth deceit. Thou sitteth and speaketh against thy brother, thou slandereth thine own mother's son. These things hast thou done, and I kept silence, though thou though um, thou thoughtest that I was altogether such an one as thyself. But I will reprove thee, and set them in order before thine eyes. Now consider this, ye that forget God, lest I tear you in pieces, and there be none to deliver. Who offereth praise glorifieth me, and to him that ordereth his conversation aright, will I show the salvation of God. He said, you're doing all the right things religiously. He said, but your life, you are, you, you, in essence, you're helping the thief, so you're not, you're not defending the poor and those who are being um, oppressed. You're in all kinds of immorality. You're lying, you're, you're oppressing. He said, and you think because I haven't said anything thus far that I must be okay with that, but I'm not. God says it here again. You're missing the point. You've got all the sacrifices and all the religious observance, but you're forgetting about the people that you're, that you're living with and you're not doing right by them, and so I have a problem with you. Proverbs chapter 21 and verse 3, we have God again saying it's not about the sacrifices. Proverbs 21 and verse 3, he said, to do justice and judgment is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. Did you see what Solomon said there? Did you hear that? More acceptable. So, well, God, you know, this is where I could take a sidebar and people say, well, all sin is equal in the sight of God. Not true. Not only is that not true, but there are some things, there are some right things that are more right in the eyes of God than others. And God said to do justice and judgment is more, is more important, more acceptable to God than sacrifices. If you couldn't do the sacrifice, but you were, you were faithful in justice and judgment, that would be more acceptable to God. He takes greater pleasure in that than in your sacrifices. Now, look at Isaiah chapter number 1. Isaiah, I know this is a lot of scripture, but I want you to see this is a theme that shows up over and over all through the Old Testament, which is why Jesus takes them to such task. In, in the Gospels. In um, Isaiah chapter number 1, God is upset with Judah. And beginning in verse number 11, God asks, To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices unto me, saith the Lord? I'm full of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed beasts. I delight not in the blood of bullocks or of lambs or of he goats. 
When you come to appear before me, who hath required this at your hand to tread my courts? Bring no more vain oblations. Incense is an abomination unto me. The new moons and the Sabbaths, the calling of assemblies, I cannot away with it. It is iniquity, even the solemn meeting. God said, even your gathering together, I'm upset with. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hateth. They are, they are a trouble unto me. I am weary to bear them. And when ye spread forth your hands, I will hide mine eyes from you. Yea, when ye make many prayers, I will not hear you. Your hands are full of blood. Why? Look at verse 16. Wash you, make you clean, put away the evil of your doings from before mine eyes, cease to do evil, learn to do well. In what way? Seek judgment, relieve the oppressed, judge the fatherless, plead for the widow. Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. This verse is often used uh, to, to, as, as a gospel verse, isn't it? Come now, let us reason together, the Lord, saith the Lord. But right before these verses, which is always a good thing to do, God says, you guys, you guys are all these sacrifices, you're getting together, you're observing all the feasts, you're doing all these religious things, but you're not relieving the afflicted, you're not judging the fatherless, you're not relieving the poor, you're not doing all of these things, and that's what I want. And he said, so start doing that. If you start doing that, I'll come and forgive your wickedness. But your wickedness is in doing this, or in not doing these things. Remember what Jesus said to the, to, the, uh, to the Pharisees in the Gospels? You tithe mint and rue and anise and cumin, but you leave off the, the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy. He said, do that. You need to do the other things, fine, but make sure you're doing that. So he goes on, so he says, wash you and make you clean, put away your evil, learn to do well, and, and the well he calls them to do is, is seeking judgment, that is the right um, the, uh, justice in their, in their communities, Relieve the oppressed, judge the fatherless, plead for the widow. There's so many more here that we could look at. Isaiah chapter 58, 1 through 10, you can write that down. And God again goes through the same thing. The same problem. Religious exercise, but you're leaving out the people that I, the, the things that I said were the most important. Also look at Jeremiah chapter number 7 and verse number 22. Jeremiah 7 and verse number 22. Verse number 21, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Put your burnt offerings unto your sacrifices and eat flesh. For I spake not, verse 22 of chapter 7, I spake not unto your fathers, nor commanded them in the day that I brought them up out of the land of Egypt concerning burnt offerings and sacrifices. But this thing commanded I them, saying, Obey my voice, and I will be your God, and ye shall be my people." And walk ye in all the ways that I have commanded you, that it may be well with you. This is an important verse. This is pivotal to understanding what's going on and what, and what the, the New Testament says as well. The book of Hebrews, I think it's the book of Hebrews. Could be wrong about that. But um, the book of Hebrews asked the question. Maybe, no, maybe it was Paul in Galatians. Uh, I think it was Paul in Galatians. The book, uh, where he said, why was the law added? He said the law was added because of transgression. Now, immediately people say, yeah, because Adam's transgression. But the law didn't exist from Adam until that time. The law was added because of the transgression of the nation of Israel who refused to obey God and what he'd called them to do. So he added the law as a constant reminder to them to be faithful to what God had told them to do. They took the law and the sacrifices and said, these things must be the things that please God then. 
But that wasn't the case. The law was added to remind them of where they'd fallen short. And they took the method and turned it into the religion and said, as long as we're sacrificing, as long as we're going to synagogue, as long as we're going to temple, as long as we're giving all the right things, then God will be pleased with us. But God said, but there's someone hungry right outside your gates and you're not feeding him. And there's someone naked right outside your door and you're not clothing them. And the fatherless are being oppressed and people are moving the landmarks of the inheritance of the, widow, of the widows and the orphans and you're not doing anything about that. He said, that's always what I wanted from you. I didn't talk to your fathers when they came out of Egypt about sacrifices and offerings. That came later. What I wanted them to do was to follow me and obey me. And the, one of the number one ways they were supposed to do that was by their care for, the fellow, for their fellow man and the most oppressed around them. Daniel chapter 4, verse 27. Daniel is talking to the king. This is amazing because this, this wasn't just a, a, a Jewish thing. Daniel chapter number, but Daniel knew the God he was talking about. In Daniel chapter four, even after even after giving the uh, the idea that God's judgment was going to come, in Daniel four twenty seven, Daniel says this: Wherefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable unto thee, and break off thy sins by righteousness, and thine iniquities by what showing mercy to the poor. It may be a length, if it may be a lengthening of thy tranquility. Daniel was talking to one of the cruelest kings that had ever lived up to that time. And he said, yes, God said he's going to judge you, but it doesn't, it might not have to be that way. Let me tell you what gets God's attention. Stop sinning and, and do righteousness, but also do this. He said, break off thine iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. What was one of the things that God was upset with Nebuchadnezzar about? Daniel said, you're not taking care of the poor. If you start taking care of the poor and start showing them mercy, God might give you a few more years of peace here. God cares about that. It's interesting, isn't it? He didn't tell him what you need to do is you need to start going to church more. You need to tithe. You need to dress a certain way and that'll get God's attention. You need to sacrifice. He said, he said, why don't you start living right and why don't you take care of poor people? And that might get God's attention. Nebuchadnezzar didn't do it. Do I need to remind you about Micah 6, 8? Do you remember that verse? Micah 6, 8? Um, where is Micah? Here it is, Micah 6 and verse 8. We know Micah 6, 8 because we hear it all the time, right? But look at what, look what comes in Micah 6, 6, Micah 6, 6. Wherewith shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings and with calves of a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body, for the sin of my soul? Here's what Micah's asking. He says, how am I going to get back into a right relationship that God will bless? Should I do like sacrifices and offerings? I mean, what if I give my own firstborn? That's pretty dramatic. And he said, it's nonsense because God has already told you what he wants from you. He hath showed the old man what is good. You know this already. He has showed thee, O man, what is good. And what doth the Lord require of thee? It can't get any plainer than this. What does the Lord require? But to do justly, 
to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God. God doesn't care about all your sacrifices. God doesn't care about all your religious expressions. God already told you what he wants from you. If you want to look at one more verse, you could jot it down. Amos 5, 21 through 24. It's the same thing. Over and over and over in the Old Testament, God said, if you guys think religious exercise is what I'm after, you're missing the boat. You're missing the point. Not that those things are bad. Jesus never said to them, so stop tithing and stop doing those. He said, these you should have done, but you shouldn't have left the other things undone. They were actually more important. And the prodigal son's older brother in Luke 15 was very upset with the father for receiving the son. And he said, but it's like, this is what it's all about. And the Pharisees were upset that Jesus was eating with publicans and sinners. And Jesus said, go and learn what that means. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. He said, I came. I didn't call to come right to call righteous people. I came to help those who were away, who were, who were straying, those who were scattered. And you've missed the boat altogether. And when the apostles are feeding their starving stomachs on the Sabbath day and the Pharisees are upset with that, Jesus said, if you had even known what it meant that I will have mercy and not sacrifice, you never would have been upset with these people. And in Hosea 6.6, God is speaking to the people of Ephraim and he's saying to them, in fact, if you look earlier, I think it's in chapter 5, he said, even if Ephraim pursues after me into the wilderness with multitudes of, of, of rams and, and sheep, he said, it's not going to matter because it's never been about the sacrifices. That's not what I cared about. What I cared about, Hosea 6.6, 6, I desired faithfulness. I desired mercy and not sacrifice. And God is saying to them, you missed the point. In Psalms, God says to, the, to them, you've missed the point. In Proverbs 21, God says to them, you missed the point. In Isaiah, God says to them, you've missed the point. In Jeremiah, God said, you've missed the point. In Amos, God said, you're, you're still missing the point. In Micah 6, God says, I've already showed you. You already know this. You're missing the point. And in Matthew 9 and Matthew 12, Jesus says to them, you're still missing the point. You're still, after all these years, missing the point. And loved ones, here's the question that I want to ask us today. Whether or not we're still missing the point of why we're even doing this. Why we're even here. Why, why Christianity as a whole has still convinced itself in no different way than the Old Testament saints that if we come to church three times a week, we dress a certain way, we give our tithes, we're faithful to church, that somehow our religious exercises in our church services are the way we gain the favor of God. It is beyond me how that can be any different than the religious exercises of the Israelites who did all the right things exercise and religious-wise but ignored what the very heart of God had been and what the most important thing to God was all through the Old Testament. He told them over and over again, if you are nothing but religious and you ignore the poor, the afflicted, the destitute, the naked, the hungry, you're missing the point. If you put your religious exercise over the people around you, you're missing the point. Now, loved ones, we have to consider this very, very 
carefully but firmly. If our church structure and religious exercise, I will be misunderstood for this, but I do not care. If our church structure and religious exercise hinders us from ministering and reaching the people around us, or worse, hurts the people around us because we demand a a certain standard of religious exercise as what pleases God the most. God will be not be looking at our religious exercise of faithfulness. He will be looking at the naked man who walks away from our door unclothed. And he will say, what good is all of your order of service? He will say to us, what good was all of your all of your uh, standards and all of your production and all of your rules and all of your guidelines, if we make those the standard by which God is pleased with us, and loved ones, we may not be guilty. I think sometimes we are, but I know for sure that there is a large percentage of professing Christians in America who make their religious exercise and their rules and their standards and their organizational structure more important than the people who are suffering and dying and starving and freezing out there. And God said to the people of Israel, you've missed the entire point. Away with your sacrifices. Did God not care about sacrifices? No, he gave them the the list of sacrifices. The sacrifices are important. And our religious exercise and expression is important. But loved ones, it is not more important than reaching those who are hurting. I was talking to some pastor friends of mine just recently. We were trying to talk about how to help families with special needs in our community. This is something that's close to my heart. People, families with special needs children are all around us and it is almost impossible for them to come to church. Some of the massive churches can have special rooms and specially trained people and sometimes that can work. But in most cases, families with children with severe autism and uh, MS and um, I won't you know, come up with a list of all the other uh, major physical maladies that, 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 that afflict uh, children with, with severe special needs. Most of these families are imprisoned in their homes taking care of a child that can't be taken out in public, one, because people don't understand, two, because there's no structure for them. But in most cases and in many churches, if it doesn't end with someone walking through the doors and sitting in the pews, we just have no patience for it or interest in it. Because in our minds, we allow ourselves, please hear me, in our minds, we allow ourselves to believe that if it doesn't end with faithful church attendance, then it's not right. But what if, what if, this is just a huge what if, and this is what I told these pastors I was talking to this week. What if some people aren't supposed to come to church? Because what if they can't? God knows that. What if in these people's cases, it's not about you need to come to church. What if it's supposed to be we need to come to you? Even if you never are able to come to church. So, well, if we don't get people in church, how are they going to put money in the offering plate and then how are we going to pay the bills? I know, it's like a good question. We probably have to trust God that what he said in Psalm 91, he meant that if you, ta- have, you have mercy on the poor, God will take care of you. But what I'm afraid is going on in the West, in our country, is our churches have become little Tribes of Israel 
who say, we have, we have determined what is good and what God requires of us. And if you want to be part of us, you have to, fu- you have to fit within these categories. And we've shut our ears and we've closed our eyes to the, to the needs of people around us. And all through the Bible, God said, I'm really upset with that. In fact, the number one sin that God had a problem with, with the nation of Israel, was their refusal to do justice, judgment, and take care of the oppressed. That was the number one thing. He talked talked about other things, but that was his biggest problem. He said, you take care of people around you. That's why I put you there. That's what I require of you. Walk with me and take care of people. And loved ones, I, I want that to be our heart at Second Baptist. That if we filled our building with people who know how to walk the walk, but ignore the oppressed, the naked, the hungry, the destitute, and the downtrodden around us. We have failed to find the heart of God. And God will not be pleased with our religious exercise if we ignore those he calls us to take care of. I want us to really struggle with this. I hope you're not angry with me, and I hope you won't misunderstand what I'm saying, but I'm willing to be misunderstood because I think this is such an important thing to say. God devoted a massive amount of real estate in the Bible to this idea. And then Jesus says in Matthew to the Pharisees, who are arguably the most rigid in their holiness living, their outward their outward appearance. But he said, tell you what, guys, go and learn what it means. And then later, you still don't know what it means. You're still missing the point. I don't want to miss the point. I don't want to miss the point. I don't want us to miss it. So let's think about that. Let's meditate on it. Maybe it's good we're not having church tonight. Give us a chance just to think this through and look at these passages. I'll I'll give you a list of them if you want me to give you the list of them so you can read them again and just see how important this was to God. And consider while we're, now look, I don't want you guys not to come to church next week and say, well, I've determined that church isn't important, so I'm just going to go feed a hungry person during church. No, we can, we can do both. We ought to do both. But I can tell you what's more important than services three times a week. And I'm saying that as a pastor whose whole livelihood depends on you coming to church. Coming to church is only a small part of it. What goes on the rest of the week is the main thing. It's the main thing. What are we doing? How are we doing it? Let's think about that and pray about that. Father, thank you for the opportunity to be gathered together this morning. And I pray that this week's church. Well, thanks everybody for taking time to listen. And if you have listened through the entirety of this sermon, I appreciate that very much. I don't intend to broadcast my sermons on this podcast on a regular basis, but this was just something that I have been obsessed with in the last uh, week and a half since I was uh, looking at it and studying it. I have some stories I'd love to tell you, things that happened after preaching this message. Maybe I'll get around to those in a future episode. Reach out to me, thispoorpastor at gmail.com. But for now, I'm going to leave you until next week. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time.